Let's turn in the Scriptures of God's Word to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10, we're reading this evening, the end of the chapter, verses 20 through 34. Isaiah 10, verses 20 through 34. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how You comfort Your people and encourage us in Christ Your Son. You give us many promises, and You always keep Your promises. We are thankful that You are the faithful God and Savior. And that You live to make intercession for us. So hear us and perfect our prayers and perfect the hearing of Your Word and the preaching of Your Word now. For we come to hear You and You alone. And so grant us faith in Christ and encourage us in Him that we might be spurred on in the Christian life to faith, hope, and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20. These are God's words. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. The Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined, in the midst of all the land. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger and their destruction. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge, For him, according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb, and as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. He is come to Iath. He is passed to Megron. At Michmash, he hath laid up his carriages. They are gone over the passage. They have taken up their lodging at Geba. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. Lift up thy voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard unto Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madmena is removed. The inhabitants of Gebim rather than gather themselves to, to flee. As yet shall he remain at Nob that day. 
He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the bow with the terror, and the high ones of stature shall he hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled, and he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. And those are God's words. Syria, if you remember, Syria and Israel have come up against Judah. Judah has made many alliances, made their alliance with Assyria, and yet this we know would end very poorly for Israel and Syria. We've learned that very much. Their kings would come to nothing and Israel would attack each other. As we heard this morning, again, reminded of that, and eventually uh, would fall to Assyria. But Assyria would then turn on Judah and bring the Lord's judgments. And then the last Lord's Day we heard how the Lord would then turn to judge Assyria, which we hear again in part in this chapter. Again, we heard two points there. Last Lord's Day, the Lord sovereign over the nations, and the Lord sovereign over judgment. But now this evening we hear the last part of chapter 10 with a bigger theme, a better theme, we might say, uh, uh, one that encourages us. The Lord sovereign over the church. The Lord sovereign over the church. And throughout history from Genesis to the present, there are ups and downs with His church. And times when the church flourishes, at times when like in Isaiah, when the church really struggles. We need to remember in the grand scheme of things, the Lord is sovereign over His church. In chapter 1, verse 9, you remember in the very first chapter, we have um, kind of a summary of what's all going to be talked about later in Isaiah, and what we're talking about now. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9, it says, "...except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant..." We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. He did leave a remnant. And He always, even as we heard this morning, He always leaves a remnant. For nothing, and no one can ever destroy completely His bride, the church. In Matthew 16, He says, I will build My church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we know this so clearly from the New Testament, the church will always be And has been since the beginning in Genesis 3. The Lord will preserve His church according to His sovereign power and His providence because He has decreed it so. And so we can stand upon that truth. In the book of Revelation, it concerns the whole book, concerns the victorious Savior, King Jesus, and the victorious church in Him. There will always be a remnant. There will always be, even in the time of the prophets, and here we are in the prophets, the judgments are pronounced and carried out against His unfaithful people, the church. Always remember the many promises, though, that are found in those prophets of so many of God's people who have rebelled and they proved covenant breakers. But there will always be a true bride of Christ on earth until the second coming. Christ. And that should give us comfort. That should drive us 
by grace to push on in the Christian life and in the church. But you remember we studied last Lord's Day, the Lord's promise of land, along with the promised seed in the morning. That was always, that was always a promise to bring about the Messianic seed through a safe land preserving that promised line unto Christ. The land promise that gives hope in the Messiah to come and that has come to save His people from their sins. In chapter 6 and verse 13 it says, But yet in it, in it shall be a tenth and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So there are many promises. So the Lord is sovereign over all things. Even in the midst of judgment, He's sovereign. And we can take comfort in Him as He is sovereign over the church. The first point this evening in the grand, great picture of the Lord being sovereign over His church, the Lord revives His church. The Lord revives His church. Here's a promise that He will revive His church at the right time. As we look generally at the church today, friends, it seems generally, broadly, the church is declining. At least where we are at. There's more love of the world, more love of various idols, a tendency to go towards the Antichrist. Many covenant children leaving the church, rebelling against the Lord, rejecting the Gospel. The times in Judah were seemingly far worse from our perspective. This nation was being attacked, judged by God through Assyria, and yet we know today our nation is also being judged with smaller judgments or greater judgments, depending on how you perceive them. And of course we ought to perceive them in accordance with God's Word. But what a great word from the Lord here that He will revive His church. Notice He may not revive the nation, but He will revive His church. Verse 20, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon Him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. So again, Judah was currently rebelling against the Lord not trusting at all in the Lord, though the Lord had given ample reasons to follow Him and love Him and obey Him, even in the promises of the Messianic seed to come, Jesus Christ, the governor of the nations, right? In chapter 9 and chapter 7, Emmanuel would come, born of the virgin. But Judah had rejected these promises. But we know, as we've studied, not all of Judah... Not all of Judah, but Judah generally had rejected all these promises. First in verse 20 it says, It shall come to pass in that day. And that's repeated in that day. Verse 27 is pointing us back to verses 16 through 19. In the day of Assyria's downfall and judgment and destruction, in that day, there was a day when Judah, under King Ahaz, had who sacrificed his son and offered idolatrous worship to false gods under 
Ahaz and Judah had been leaning upon Assyria's strength as the solution to their problem of Israel and Syria wanting to come up against them. And then some would begin to realize that leaning upon Assyria would end in Judah's own judgment, as the Lord revealed that to them. That Assyria would be used to strike them down. And halfway through verse 20, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them. That is, that Judah would no longer put their hope in the one Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, who eventually struck them down and was striking them down and defeating them. As the Lord used Assyria and Tiglath-Pileser, the king, to judge Judah. Where once Ahaz, king of Judah, gave Assyria, the Assyrian king, the gold and the silver from the temple. Can you believe that? The gold and the silver from the temple out of Jehovah's house. But here's the promise. Here's the promise. When I, Jehovah, judge Assyria, in that day, that king and that nation will not judge you anymore. They will no more bring upon you destruction. They will no longer attack you. You see, again, the Lord is sovereign, not only over the nations and judgment, but upon His church. He sovereignly decrees in His providence to bring judgment upon the church. First Peter chapter 4, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? The Lord has brought that judgment from Assyria upon Judah, and it has affected even the elect remnant who are in Judah, most assuredly. But it will not remain that way. It will not remain that way. Judgment is coming upon the church today in many places, in many congregations, in many denominations. Some lampstands, that is, congregations, have become nothing, no more, because they rebelled against the Lord. And the Lord judged them. Perhaps even in our own denomination, the Lord judging. But it will not always be that way. Because in that day, there will be no more judgment. And so what happens here, verse 20, it says that the remnant of Israel, and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob. Now we've been seeing... When the Lord is using the prophet, the Lord through the prophet is using that word Israel, we're thinking of the northern kingdom, right? But not here. Or here it brings us to the remnant of God's people. We know that because He brings up the house of Jacob. And the house of Jacob is all of the tribes of Israel, all of Israel and Judah, all the seed leading to Christ. And the faithful. And so, in other words, this remnant, this remaining people who are faithful to the Lord, who would turn to the Lord, they would be preserved and brought out. They will no longer stand under the judgment, but shall stand upon the Lord. No longer standing, holding their faith upon the king of Assyria, but now they will turn to Jehovah. 
And they'll bow to Him. And how will they do that? They'll do that in truth. In truth. You have the visible church which makes up the the northern, southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. and, And here the Lord promises He's going to bring out from them, from the visible church, a remnant and save them. For they will turn to the Lord in truth. Many are called and have been called by the prophets, but few are chosen. The remnant will be saved. And what we've seen so much of is the decline and rebellion and rejecting of the truth by God's covenant people, much covenant breaking, but the Lord will revive His church. Think of Psalm 85. It says, Lord, Thou hast been favorable unto Thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Who did it? In His sovereignty. It's the Lord. Jehovah who did that. It goes on, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of Thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all Thy wrath. Thou hast turned Thyself from the fierceness of Thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause Thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt Thou be angry with us forever? Wilt Thou draw out Thine anger to all generations? Wilt Thou not... Wilt Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. That's Psalm 85. The Lord at the right time revives His church. We're going to look and consider this more in a second. Verse 21, though, it says, The remnant shall return. Even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. And twice there it says the remnant shall return. And remember last Lord's Day, uh, we heard the... Hint of Isaiah's second son, his name, Maharshalal Hashbaz. And uh, the names are there in the Hebrew. Um, Shalal and Baz, meaning to spoil and plunder. Right? And, and Assyria would be plundered and the spoil taken away. But here is his firstborn son is hinted at in those two times it talks about the remnant. From back in chapter 7, verse 3, remember his firstborn son was, called, was named Sher Jeshub. And if you were reading the Hebrew, you would see, even more so than Maharshalal Hashbaz, you would see that name identical in the verses before us. You would be reading along and you would see Sher Jeshub. Where it says, where it says here, the remnant shall return. The remnant will return. Remember Isaiah, your son's name. That's how sure it is. You see him right there, your son. That's how sure it is that the remnant will return. Then we ask. What is revival? We are, we are not going to go into all of that today. Maybe that would be a good sermon series. It's a very large subject. 
But as, as we read Psalm 85, when the Holy Spirit comes to revive the church of God, notice in our passage what He does. He turns them. That's what revival is. And the very basic foundation of it, revival is when the Lord, by His Holy Spirit, comes in great power and turns His people back to Him. He turns them. And the plea in Psalm 85 is for revival to be sent by God. The plea is, turn us, O God, of our salvation. The Lord brings, He sends the grace of repentance when He sends revival. But who will the remnant be? In this passage, it will be a small number of all of God's covenant people. The Lord sends the afflictions so that the people will learn not to make creatures their confidence. Not to make false gods and, and things their, like the king of Assyria, their trust. He sends trials upon us to do the same thing. And we cannot put men and things as our faith, our trust. Verse 21, the remnant returns. It shall return. Returns to whom? It says to the mighty God. You see, this is repentance, turning from evil and idolatry and rebellion against God and turning to God. That's repentance, turning from your sin, turning to God. They won't merely return to their homes and their land and their property that has been taken from them and destroyed, but to God. They're going to return to God and their duty unto Him. They shall repent they will pray, they will seek His face, and reform their lives. That's revival. And so friends, you want revival? Pray. Pray for the Lord to turn His church from its sin to Him, the God of our salvation, that we would be moved to pray. That we would be moved, you pray that you would be moved to pray. Pray that you would be seeking His face, that the church would seek His face. Pray that the church would be reformed. A turn from all their false ways and traditions as we prayed in the pastoral prayer to Christ. Remember Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? It's one of the names of Christ, the mighty God. The remnant returns and they seek the face of Christ, the mighty God. And so when you repent of your sins, you turn from those sins and you turn to Christ. And this comes... How? But by His sovereign grace. It's His sovereign grace that He pours out so that we can turn. And Jehovah is promising this to His people. And the people of Israel are, as it says, the sand of the sea. Reminding us of that promise He gave to Abraham. A seed leading to that Messianic seed. They're a great number. The promise here is yet a remnant shall return. Not all Israel shall be saved, but a remnant, a remnant of them. When all the covenant people were in the earth, the Lord saved a remnant, Noah and his family. And family worship... Uh, my family is in First Kings, and there we learn of the remnant 
of the prophets, just 7,000 prophets didn't bow, but kept the faith. It's true in every age that there are at least a few, at least a few who serve Jehovah faithfully. Few in comparison to the great majority of all the world. And the Lord brings them to Him by His sovereign grace. You see, verse 22 reveals to us what many think is just the New Testament concept that there is an Israel within Israel. It's right here in our passage, verse 22. Of course, that comes to its fullest expression in the New Testament, and we can see more clearly in the New Testament, but it's right here. We've learned, even last Lord's Day, Abraham is the father of all who believe. Romans 4, Galatians 3. And while the true Jew is not one who is a Jew outwardly, but one who is a Jew inwardly, that is, by faith they believe the same gospel promises as Abraham. They have the circumcision not of the flesh, but of the heart. Well, it's, it's Romans 9 that Paul says, Not as though the word of God hath taken no effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Verse 22, For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. There is an Israel within Israel. And later in chapter 9 of Romans, the the Apostle Paul applies this verse. He says says there in Romans 9, Esaias, that's Isaiah, also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be the sand as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. The remnant of the Jews would receive the gospel. Why? Because they're of the elect chosen by the grace of God. And so the destruction or consumption, the destruction of judgment, of judgment decreed by the sovereign God will overflow with righteousness. Not only is the judgment righteous, but it will end up with pointing God's people to righteousness even found in Christ. Verse 23, it says, For the Lord of Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. So when the judgment of the Lord came upon God's covenant people by the Assyrians, upon Judah, right? Notice he's saying here, it's the Lord who sent it. We've already learned that. But it's the Lord who sent it and He brought it upon all the land. He determined it. He decreed it. It's not random. It was ordained by God even from before all creation. Determined determined by Him. The length and breadth of His judgment was ordained by Him. Just like all our dwelling places in Acts were learned, ordained by Him. This judgment or consumption is overflowing, spreading over the land. And though it overflows, it's not random. It is in righteousness. It's perfect. It's in righteousness. God will justly bring His consumption, His judgment, upon a provoking people. But He will wisely and graciously set bounds to it. It will go thus far, no further. Right? Just like He says, Hitherto shall come and no further. His judgments are right.
righteous and they are all at work for the blessing and good of His church. And so He's going to cause those judgments to go so far, but no further than He has determined. Because He has His church, His bride in mind. And He's going to save them. There may be few then in Judah who are faithful to the Lord, but the Lord would preserve His bride and He has done so unto Christ and unto today. The Lord revives His church. He will move them to return to Christ and He will preserve His people, turning them from their sins unto Him, even Christ, the mighty God. And so a remnant will return. Secondly, the Lord relieves relieves His church. The Lord relieves His church. Verse 24, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. And so yes, Judah, the Lord is coming in judgment against you, but don't be afraid of the Assyrian. Don't be afraid of the Assyrian. The Assyrian will smite you with the rod. He'll... His staff will will be against you just like it was in Egypt. But verse 13, Who ordains the rod and the staff? I do. Jehovah. Verse 25, For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger and their destruction shall cease. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. So by you, church, the faithful Jews, he's saying, hold on, for I will turn in my judgments against Judah and turn from you and turn to Assyria. His judgments upon Assyria. And here we can think of Assyria as the church's enemy, whoever that... Uh, enemy might be, whoever the instrument that the Lord uses to bring judgments upon His church is, His judgments upon Assyria will be just like what happened, He's saying here, to Midian and in Egypt. And all this will be what? Verse 27. In that day, and it shall come to pass in that day, that His burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. He will set his people, his faithful people, free from their oppressors. We see the fulfillment of this in Isaiah 37. It says, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Just as He promised earlier in chapter 10, the dead corpses. Verse 28, He has come to Eyath. He has passed to Migron. At Michmash He hath laid up His carriages. They are gone over the passage. They have taken up their lodging at Geba. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. It's almost like uh, from here to the end of the chapter, it's almost a summary of, of what's happening. 
I'm not going to go into all the details of all the places and all the things that happened. But here, here in your ears, how great the Assyrians were. They were a great threat. They go here and there and they win. They destroy. That's what he's talking about here in these last verses. Verse 30, we see how cowardly then, as they were looking at Assyria, they're seeing how much they're destroying in every city they go to. They're, they're taking all of them. We see how cowardly Judah was. They were afraid of Assyria. Their apostasy from God had uh, dispirited them. They were disheartened. They were weak because they didn't trust the Lord in the first place. Verse 30, Lift up thy voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard unto Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madmena is removed. The inhabitants of Gabim rather themselves gather themselves to flee. In other words, Jerusalem is wide open to attack. Verse 32, And yet, as yet shall he remain at Nob that day. He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. And so when it comes to Jerusalem, and Assyria is going from city to city, attacking and destroying, attacking and destroying, they come to Nob. When it comes to Jerusalem, they will not attack and destroy it. He will, that is the king of Assyria, will remain in Nob, which is a little ways away from Jerusalem. He'll see Mount Zion, and it says here that he'll shake his hand against it. Ah, just Jerusalem. We don't need to go up against that. But it's interesting in chapter 37, uh, again, that Jerusalem is shown as shaking her head at him the king of Assyria. It says, The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. And so that's what will become of Assyria. It will become, in other words, a laughing stock. And so, he's saying here, to his faithful ones, his remnant, take heart, take courage, Take courage, faithful Judah. Verse 33, it's time, it's the Lord's time to appear against Assyria. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, shall lop the bow with terror, and the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. And he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. The same language that we heard before uh, in previous Lord's Day, the previous Lord's Day, the thickets of the forest. Those are the soldiers, the armies of Assyria. They'll be cut down. Their pride will be humbled. Remember the great pride, their boasting for which they were judged, they will be humbled. The mighty armies will be destroyed, they're going to be cut down. So let not God's people be afraid of them. They're nothing. And so, friends, the Lord relieves. His church. He relieves them. He comforts them. He grants them a greater understanding of what's about to happen. He grants them promises of hope and strength and grace. That He will shower them with His mercy and with His grace. The church 
today ought to be strengthened in the Lord in the same way. Remembering His promises, seeing them, considering how the Lord revives His church. And so when we see the decline of zeal for the Lord in the church, when we see our children rejecting the Lord in the church, when we see the doctrine of the church skewed and flawed and needs reformed, needs reforming, the Antichrist still has a hold on the church, for he has not been destroyed yet. Satan still affecting the church. Seems more than previously. And our society around us and our nation is getting worse and worse as sin and evil. Our exalted justice and righteousness is hated. And we cry out, Lord, how long? How long? Well, first we have to address, of course, our own hearts. The promise of the Lord in this chapter is that He simply refuses to allow a faithful people to be extinguished. He does not allow a faithful people, His faithful people, to be extinguished. So what does that mean for you? And the first point where the Lord revives His church, it's the Lord, as He does that, it's the Lord who works sovereignly to always bless His church, even though there may be times of decline and judgment upon the church. And He will also relieve His church in the midst of those judgments. But there will always be, there will always be a faithful remnant. There will always be a faithful remnant. So what? So what? The first thing we as the church need in in application, first thing the church needs desperately to grasp what we've learned in this passage, that the Lord will always have His church. And His church will always be. It's His bride. He's going to care for His church. He's going to revive His church. He's going to, when she's sitting on the bed, right? Song of Solomon, sitting on the bed, not wanting to come to the door. He's going to keep calling and knocking on the door until she comes. And so you're either in His church or you're not. You're part of the faithful remnant or not. Well, that means what? Are you going to be faithful to the Lord in the church or not? Because a lot of what we see today in the church, if we're just speaking broadly, right? A lot of the things that we see in the church today is unfaithfulness to the Lord and faithfulness to ourselves and to the world and idols, right? But Christ is King. We must be faithful to Christ. Well, how am I to be more faithful? Now that starts with your ministers and your elders. They need to be the most faithful. They need your prayers and your, the, 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 the zeal of the Lord and the Gospel. Uh, for the preaching of the Gospel and preaching and teaching, they need to not fear man, but to fear God alone. And so then they are to be able to faithfully minister the Gospel to you and not scared of you. And then what? That means you must faithfully be present to receive their ministry. And as they reform and grow, Lord willing, you will reform and grow. And as you continue in that, as families and individuals and application to your lives, you will reform and grow as families and individuals. 
But we need to be faithful in our hearing. And then believing what we hear from God's Word, obeying it. Obeying it. You love God, will keep His commandments. And all around you, the church may be faithless. There may be a time in the future that you are the sole faithful one of the congregation. So as we look here, what does the Lord tell us? Remain faithful. You might be the last one. Be faithful. Be faithful. You might be the last congregation that's faithful. Be faithful. Studying His Word. Meditating upon it. Loving Him. Praying faithfully. If all the church and the churches all around you are all faithless, then friends, be faithful. Be faithful. Because the Lord always has a remnant of believing people on the earth. His elect and chosen ones called out of darkness into light. So, be faithful. And you'd be found as part of that remnant. And not as outside of that remnant. So be faithful. Seek always to be faithful. Why? Again, the promise of the Lord in the chapter is He simply refuses to allow a faithful people to be extinguished. He does not allow a faithful people to be extinguished. So be faithful. And if you turn from the Lord, turn from Him like Judah did, judgments will come upon you. So turn towards Him and repent of your sins. And be faithful. Secondly, in application. Secondly, another question from this evening, since we should desire revival, the church to be uh, living alive unto Christ, to be revived by the Spirit, and the church to be revived and turn to Christ, the mighty God, and for the nation to turn to Christ. Well, how do we put ourselves in a good position to see revival? Again, the, Lord, the Lord's sovereign. He alone sends revival. So we can't pray it to happen. right? We can't pray and pray and pray knowing if we just pray enough, He'll send revival. It doesn't work that way. He'll send revival if He has determined to send revival. But we can position ourselves to be faithful. And thereby, in our pleadings to the Lord, we can put ourselves in a position to be used by the Spirit in revival, should He send revival. And we might even encourage Him, based on His promises, as we are called to pray His promises. We call it from our side, encouraging Him. Doesn't change any. doesn't change Him at all. But if we're faithful, let, let me put it this way. He's not going to send revival if you're not faithful. He's not going to send revival if you're not praying for it. He's not going to send revival if you don't have a heart that desires the church and yourself to turn from your sins unto Him. And so, be faithful and pray. And so there's great encouragement for His church, His bride, in this passage to plead that He would turn His church, His people, to be faithful. To be that remnant. But the last thing is for you who are not in the church, who are not part of the bride and unbelievers. You're in great danger like Assyria. You're in your sins. You need to be saved from those sins. And the good news this evening at all times is that the mighty God who's been sent as the God uh, now taking on flesh, the God-man, has been sent to to save His people from their sins, just like your sins. 
And that by a living, perfect, righteous life, though He was tempted and suffered, always and ever kept the law of God perfectly. Or you broke His law. And He received the law's condemnation for all the sins of all who believe on Him. Those sins could be your sins that were placed upon Him. If you believe on Him. And there He died about 2,000 years ago. And all of God's wrath was poured out upon Him. He died that you might live by His resurrection from the dead. But you will only live if you believe in this mighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith today. Do not hesitate. So many people who wait, I'll just do it you know, later. Don't hesitate. Because you don't know if you'll breathe another breath after this evening. You don't even know if you'll make it home this evening. Remember driving here, there's a big... And this morning, there's a big accident. Somebody was being taken away on the stretcher, right? You don't know if you're going to have tomorrow or another breath. So come to Christ today. And if you come to Christ today, He'll receive you. And He'll grant you reviving of your soul, making it alive. And He'll grant you unending blessings forevermore. But if you refuse and you harden your heart like so many in Judah did in pride against this God, you'll become like Assyria. You'll become like judged Judah and Israel and Syria. And you will know death forever, unending fellowship with death. But may it not be you. But turn, even children, turn to Christ by faith this evening. And you'll have life. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We do pray that You would revive Your church. That You would turn Your church from its great sins and corporate sins and faithlessness and idols and traditions and false worship and hearts of just going through the motions and doing what we've always done and much, much more. Turn us from all these sins of false doctrine, not even believing the Trinity, not even believing the doctrines that are so clear in Your Word, but being filled with the, as children of the devil, filled with the spirit of the devil, the heart of the devil. Father, filled with lies and being deceived. Father, we pray that all those who have been deceived would turn unto You tonight. And You would grant them salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. And You would revive Your church. And You would cause this nation to turn unto You as the church is revived so that the nation would see this great working of Your Spirit in this world, in Your people, in Your remnant. And they would turn unto Christ. That the Jews and the Gentiles would turn unto Christ. And all of our family members would turn on the Christ. And our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our grandparents, our siblings, our friends of old, turn them to Christ, we pray. And grant us another chance to speak the Gospel to them. That Your name would be praised. And so send Your Holy Spirit... And cause us to be a faithful people. 
We cannot be faithful of ourselves, so shower us with Your grace to be faithful. Turn us from our wickedness and our sins to You, the living and true God, and make us faithful. By Your Spirit and grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.